morning, everybody. Thanks, Brent and worship team for leading us today while Dylan takes a, a week off. And, and uh, what a beautiful day the Lord made today, huh? Much to be thankful for here at Cedar Home, and I'm, I'm thankful that you are here with us. Uh, my name is Dan Halleck, if I haven't met you yet, and I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new with us, thanks for joining us today. Inside your bulletin, uh, there should be a connection card. Uh, and when you feel comfortable filling that out, please do, so we can know your name and a little about you. And, and by each door, there should be one of those wooden boxes. You can put those in there, and, and uh, we'd love to, to contact you and say hi. Um, man, I'm so excited, you guys, to be in this book of Acts right now. I think it's, I, as I was thinking this week, it is, it's just so cool that over 2,000 years, God has preserved these eyewitness accounts for us um, of what Jesus and his apostles did after his death and resurrection. And, and what's even more exciting is what this means for you and for me. And so far in, this, in the first chapter of Acts, which is what we're in, uh, we read about the gospel of Jesus in the first section, and then we read about the commission of Jesus, uh, which he gave to the apostles and to the church. And today we get to read about the ascension of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. Uh, this word, the ascension of Jesus, refers to the day on which Jesus was supernaturally lifted up physically into the air, raised into the sky and into heaven itself. And when, when Jesus' followers saw this happen with their own eyes, they, they were totally blown away. There was, there, was, there was nothing like this they'd ever seen before, and, and, and it was obvious this was not a street magic trick. So it wasn't a David Blaine thing. Uh, Jesus was the real deal. He didn't uh, just raise himself one foot off the ground. He raised himself five feet, and then 10 feet, and then 15, and then 20, 50, 100, all the way up into the sky until they couldn't see him anymore. And that was the last time anybody ever saw Jesus in the flesh. Jesus' ascension into heaven was a one-of-a-kind event that displayed his one-of-a-kind power and glory as God over the universe. And today I want to talk about why Jesus' ascension is great news for you and for me. So if you got your Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Acts, Chapter 1, we'll get some context, so we'll start in verse 6, and then we'll read through verse 11, okay? So Acts is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. Before we read this, let's ask God um, to help us now. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we, uh, we do thank you for preserving these testimonies in your holy Bible for us for thousands of years. And you tell us that your word is truth. This is truth. It does not lie. We can trust this entirely as your self-revealed word. And so, God, we, uh, we just come to you today as individuals and as a church family uh, with many different circumstances going on in our lives right now. And we ask you, as we come to your word, to help us surrender these things to you now. Uh, help us to listen to you speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit. Please take this word and do your will in our lives, God. Uh, for those here who 
have not put their faith in you, we ask that you use your word to touch them and to make them born again and to bring them into the fullness of the joy of your salvation. For those of us who have trusted in you, please, please use your word to change our hearts and to fill, fill us with, uh, with zeal for you, God. Convict us of our sin. Empower us to confess it to you, to turn away from it, to repent of it, and to trust in you today, Jesus. And we ask this help now um, for our joy and for your glory. And we pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So we'll read Acts 6, 1, 11, or sorry, 1, 6 to 11 out loud, and then we'll focus on verses 9 to 11. <clears throat> so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So in verse 9, Jesus uh, ascends into heaven, it says, while the apostles were looking on. And the writer here, Luke, is emphasizing the fact that there were at least 11 eyewitnesses to this event. The ascension was not someone's dream or a hallucination. And as we read in verse 9, Jesus was lifted up, uh, uh, and the disciples kept their eyes on him as he rose until, it says, a cloud took him out of their sight. And it's not crystal clear whether this was just an ordinary cloud that took Jesus out of their sight or whether this was a supernatural cloud. Uh, the majority of commentators that I read said that this cloud was likely no ordinary cloud. It was probably the Shekinah cloud of God's glory. The, throughout the Bible, God often reveals his, his divine presence and, and glory and approval in the form of a cloud. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord went before the Israelites by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them where to go. And when the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, he appeared to Moses in a thick cloud on Mount Sinai. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God made a cloud of his glory to cover the tabernacle. And thousands of years later in Jesus' life, when Jesus and his disciples hiked up to a mountaintop, a cloud of God's glory enveloped them at Jesus' transfiguration so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So because God has uh, this historical pattern of manifesting his presence and power in a cloud, it's, it's not a stretch to say that this cloud uh, that hid Jesus from the apostles was also a sign of God's divine presence and power. 
And, and after this cloud hid Jesus, the disciples kept staring at the sky. They gazed, is what it says. So they're trying to see if they could still spot Jesus up there. Kind of like when you let a, a helium balloon go outside, right? And it's kind of fun to follow it with your eyes all the way as far as it goes until it just disappears. And while the apostles were doing this, while they were gazing in the sky, a couple of angels appeared among them. And the angels appeared as men in white robes, which is the way that the Bible often describes angels. And the angels tell the apostles, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so basically this is a, a rebuke. The angels rebuke. They rebuke the apostles for standing there and staring at the sky. They tell the apostles, you guys, Jesus is gone. Jesus is in heaven now. So stop staring at the sky because you've, you're not going to see him for a while. But in the meantime, you need to get going with this mission that he gave you to do. And, and after you've completed the mission, Jesus will come back. He will come back to earth and he'll come back in the clouds with his flesh and blood body the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now in addition to this account of Jesus' ascension, Luke also wrote a different account of his own, uh, in his own gospel, and he gives a few additional details there. So I want to read the, the account from Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verses 50 to 53. It says this, And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And so this, this passage from Luke adds that Jesus led the apostles out of Jerusalem as far as Bethany, which is on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus lifted his hands, he blessed the apostles, and he was carried up to heaven. And then after talking with the angels, the apostles worshipped Jesus. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, where they continually blessed God in the temple, it says. So in the remainder of our time together, I want to answer this question. So what? What's the big deal that Jesus ascended into heaven? How, how does that event 2,000 years ago have any bearing on my life right now? How can Jesus' ascension help me with my problems right now? And how is this going to help me sleep better tonight? Well, I want to show you 10 reasons why the ascension of Jesus is great news for us. And because I don't want to keep you two hours here this morning, we're going to look at reasons 1 to 5 today. Okay? Next week we'll look at reasons 6 to 10 because the ascension is that significant and full of great news. So the ascension of Jesus is good news for you and me because it means that first, Jesus successfully completed his mission on earth. Okay, first point, Jesus successfully completed his mission on earth. He didn't fail the mission, he succeeded, he completed it. And during Jesus' public ministry, he said that, what did he say? He said he came to seek lost people. He came to save lost people by giving his life as a ransom for many. 
The ancient prophet Isaiah wrote centuries and centuries before Jesus ever came on the scene in the flesh. He wrote in Isaiah 59, 1-2, we don't have this on the screen, so listen. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So our iniquities, our, our sins against God and our sins against other people, well, they have a real effect. They separate us from God on earth and in eternity. Our iniquities are an expression of hostility toward God. And in order for us to have peace with God, to have a friendship with God, these iniquities that separate us have to be dealt with. Okay? Our sins separate us from God, who is a just judge. It says that these iniquities must be punished. So God the Father, who loves us in spite of our sin, sent his son Jesus to earth on a mission to suffer for these iniquities for us in order to remove them from us so that we can have friendship with God. And God the Son Jesus agreed to this. And he took our sins against God, the, the sins that we have against God, by becoming those very sins in his body when he was nailed to a cross. And when he suffered and died on that cross, he put all those sins to death too because his body died. This is how Peter, the, the apostle, the close friend of Jesus, says it in 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And God the Father looked upon Jesus' suffering, his death on the cross for us, and the Father said, the death of my son is sufficient to remove the sin and guilt of all who trust in him. It is finished. That's what happened on the cross. That's why Jesus yelled that on the cross. It is finished. Jesus finished his mission to save his people. Praise God. He succeeded. So Christians, Jesus dealt with your sin and guilt 2,000 years ago. Okay? You're no longer under condemnation. Jesus has freed you. Amen? So if you're here today, and you haven't trusted Jesus to be your God and Savior who paid for your sin on the cross then you have not paid for your sin and your iniquities have not separated you, have not brought you back to God. Um, you have not been eternally punished yet for those sins. But God says that's the punishment for those iniquities. You will be punished for those iniquities unless you turn to Jesus today and give your soul to him. How else will you get rid of your guilt? How else do you get rid of offending the holy God of the universe? Turn away from a rebellion against God today. Turn to Jesus, your Savior. Ask him to save you, to give you life, to take away your guilt and sin. And he says he will save you. Peter says, repent. Turn away from your sin, your sinful way of thinking about God and this world. 
and turn to Jesus in faith and be saved. Or Peter said this, just, uh, he says this in Acts 2.38. If he were here preaching to you, this is what he would say. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you need help praying to God today, if that's new, you don't need me as a priest. You don't need anybody else to do that. But I understand if that's kind of a foreign idea for you. If you want help or if you want to talk more about that, please come talk to me or another person who's a Christian here that you know. And we would love to pray with you as you surrender your soul to Jesus today. Most important decision you'll ever make. Now, we can never forget this, that just as Jesus died as our substitute on the cross suffering for our sins, God the Father then verified publicly that Jesus' death and resurrection was efficient for all believers, and he did this by resurrecting Jesus back from the dead. Okay? So Jesus successfully completed his gospel mission on earth to be a ransom for many, so that now whoever trusts in him alone for eternal life and friendship with God receives that exactly. Okay, now... This is why potentially attending that class, the, the five solas that we're going to be going through in Sunday school is so important. Because you need to see how quickly we as individuals deviate from that, we're tempted to, and how historically there have been many deviations in churches and different movements from that belief. Okay? So it's going to help you to see that, that this is why we celebrate the Reformation 500 years later in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Jesus' ascension into heaven tells us that God the Father is pleased with Jesus, that the mission is finished, and you will not find Jesus' body on earth because his body was lifted into heaven. And that makes him different than any other world leader ever. His body's in heaven. On earth, he won the war for our souls, and now he's in heaven. And if you belong to him through faith, your sins have been punished. They've been forgiven. You've been purified by his blood. He has redeemed your life and your soul for your blessing now and after this life, and for his glory now and after this life. Because he's an awesome God. That's called grace, because <laughs> we can't do it. It has to be from God. Okay, the second reason why the ascension here is good news for us is because Jesus' heavenly glory is back, and it's awesome. Okay? Jesus' heavenly glory is back, and it is awesome. So God the Father has joyfully welcomed his son back to heaven. And the Father has restored the fullness of Jesus' divine glory that he had before the creation of the world, he says. So Philippians 2 says that when Jesus initially left heaven and came to earth 2,000 years ago, he emptied himself. Meaning he released his divine right to the fullness of his heavenly glory so that he could condescend to our level so that he could add to himself human flesh, so that he could be our perfect sacrifice for our sin, fully human and fully God. That's who Jesus was. That's who he is. 
And this is why at Jesus' last supper, the night before he was crucified, he prayed, listen, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus completed his mission of salvation. He ascended into heaven, and the Father was exuberant to restore to his Son the fullness of his divine heavenly glory that he had with the Father and Spirit before the foundation of the world. If you, what this means for you and me, is if you are trusting your life and soul with Jesus, then you've been declared declared glorious in God's sight too. Think about that one. The tenses matter in which the Greek was written, in which we translate our Bibles. You were glorified. Look at Romans, okay? You were justified, Christians. We do not share the same fullness of Jesus' divine glory in heaven because we are not God. We never will be. But because we have been united to Jesus through faith in his death and resurrection, then we too have been glorified, have been glorified in God's sight. God has made us glorious in his sight. And our glorification, we read, will come to fruition when Jesus returns to earth someday and reunites and unites our souls with the glorified body. So Christian, because of God's love for you, And because of Jesus ascending into heaven, you are glorified in God's sight. Your eternity is secure. So what that means is, knowing that I'm safe in Jesus eternally, let's seek to live lives on earth that preach to ourselves and to the world that God is glorious because he made me glorious in his sight. Let's ask God to help us cut out everything in our life that does not reflect his glory, that does not reflect his righteousness, those things that are not of Christ. We're his image bearers. We image forth to the world the glory of God and to God. The fullness of Jesus' heavenly glory is back. It's awesome. So let's seek to live like we believe that. Third reason why the ascension is good news for us is is because Jesus is exalted in heaven at God the Father's right hand. Jesus is exalted in heaven at God the Father's right hand. God the Father didn't only restore Jesus' heavenly glory and give him a pat on the back, okay? God the Father lifted his son up. He lifted him up high in heaven and vindicated him for all spirits and created things to see and to worship. God the Father exalts his son with an eternal exaltation. Let's, let's read this. I mean, it's so great. The Bible's full of this. Let's read some Bible passages that describe Jesus' past and present exaltation. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his, God's, power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So unlike every other priest who stands in every other religion to, to mediate for people, Jesus sits down. Okay? That's because it is finished. He finished the saving work. He's seated in heaven with omnipotent power over all physical and spiritual powers in earth and on heaven. And it says, above every name that is named. Think of a name, Jesus is greater. Uh, there isn't a greater name than Jesus. His name is greater than all, and that's, that's not only for this age, but it says for all time. Jesus is the name that's exalted. Let's read more about this in Philippians 2. What a, it's a great passage. This is, man, from the early church, this was a hymn. This was something they memorized that, that about Jesus' exaltation. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Psalm 16.11 says, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. To be at the right hand of God is to occupy the place of God's choicest blessings. And that is exactly where Jesus is seated for eternity. And because Jesus is exalted at the right hand of God, then we who have been united with Jesus through faith are with him now spiritually at the right hand of God. And that's where we'll be forever. And this is why the greatest pleasure, we all seek pleasure. We're all worshipers, we like pleasure. God made us that way. And a lot of us spend a lot of our lives looking for pleasure where it's, we're just trying to feed this empty hole in our, our life. But God created us in such a way that the greatest pleasure that anyone on earth can experience is the pleasure of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ and friendship with him. That's the greatest joy. This is also why our future eternity with Jesus at God's right hand will be characterized by a joy, a pleasure, a zeal which on earth we just cannot even comprehend. Praise God. I thank God for loving me and you enough to die for us and rising for us, and ascending for us, and uniting us to himself to give us an eternity of joy. Amen? As we delight in God. 
fourth reason why the ascension is good news for us is that Jesus is our great eternal king who rules forever over all authorities and powers. Jesus is our great eternal king who rules forever over all authorities and powers. So, so from his exalted, uh, his exalted royal throne at the right hand of God, Jesus reigns with sovereignty. Okay? He's, he's ruler over everything, visible and invisible. And this reign is an eternal reign, an everlasting reign. It lasts forever. Nobody will overtake him. Okay? There's nobody stronger than Jesus. Like we, we just read in Ephesians 1, Jesus is at God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So who do the rules, the authorities, the powers, and the dominions answer to? Jesus. He is exalted above every name that is named. What does every name on earth, who, who does every name on earth answer to? Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Praise God. In Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Praise God that the judge is the justifier. The judge who can condemn us is the one who offers to justify us in God's sight. Praise God and who lays his life down for us. This idea of the ascension is, is, is not preached on a whole lot. And it's in some ways been undervalued in the modern church. But, he, but if you look back at church history and even to the very first Christians... There was a passage of the Bible that's long been understood as a prophecy in which the first Christians celebrated as fulfilling the ascension, as, as when King Jesus ascended into heaven to rule over all things as our Savior for all time, was the fulfillment of Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10. And this is what it says. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. He is Jesus. This is the King of glory. And so we've got to remember every day and not forget that no matter what terrible things have happened to us in the past, no matter what we're going through right now, no matter what happens on earth in the future, Jesus is the king. And he is ruling and reigning in heaven. And he is the strongest. He is the mightiest. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord of hosts. He is our Lord and Savior, and He loves us. He controls all our circumstances, even when we don't understand many of them. He controls them for our eternal blessing and for His eternal glory at the same time. They're interwoven. Christian, if you are weak today, 
then call on Jesus because he is with you. He loves you and he is strong and mighty in battle. Even in the midst of all our trials and tragedies and disappointments and fears, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us because we're united to the king. Amen? That's good news. And the fifth reason why the ascension is good news for us is that Jesus is the head of the church and he equips all believers with spiritual gifts to serve his church. Jesus is the head of his church and he equips each and every believer with spiritual gifts to serve his church. The church is not a building. The church is the collection of all people who believe that Jesus is God and who trust in him alone for eternal life and friendship with God. Jesus is the head of this church. Okay? The church, all true Christians together, are his body. He's the head, Christians are the body. And as his body, we want to believe what the head is telling us to believe. We want to say what the head tells us to say, to do what the body tells us to do, both as a corporate body and as individuals in his body. Okay, Jesus has completed the mission of salvation for his church, and now Jesus commissions his church to love the Lord with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength, to love one another as ourselves, and to take the great news of salvation in Jesus to the ends of the earth. And in order to do that effectively, we must be a healthy body, growing in God's holiness, growing in friendship with Jesus, growing in love for God and one another by the power of the Spirit, independence on Christ. That's why we gotta pray. God, help us do this. This isn't in us, <laughs> naturally. And all of the parts, all of the members of the body must participate in the mission that Jesus has given us. Body parts that don't work well is not healthy for the body. Body parts that hurt other parts of the body is not healthy for the body. And you know, man, it doesn't take much. Little pain can do a lot, right? Just a little pain, a little part can do a lot of damage. And one of the ways Jesus keeps his church healthy and active and advancing is by giving each one of us spiritual gifts to serve this body, to strengthen it, to help the church as we advance God's mission for us. In Ephesians 4, we, we read this, that Jesus won the war for our souls by dying for us and rising again. After that, in his ascension, he distributes to his church the spoils of his victory in order to bless her, his bride, his church, and in order to help her accomplish the mission he gave her to do. Ephesians 4, 7 to 8 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So Christians, when, when Jesus saves you, he bestows upon you spiritual gifts that he wants you to use to build the body, this body, the body of Christ, the body of Christ in our town, in our nation, in our world. And we read about these gifts several places in the New Testament. 
And as we read through these lists, I'm going to read them because it's God's word. I just want you to pay attention to which spiritual gifts might resonate most with your own heart. Maybe you think, yeah, that kind of, that kind of reflects my heart, I think. Romans 12, 3 to 8 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So because Jesus ascended to heaven, each and every Christian has received spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. These gifts are not only a gift to the church, they are a gift to you as Jesus' followers. Because when you use your gifts to serve the church, by God's grace, that's a joy. It's fulfilling to serve when you're in your area of giftedness. Now, there isn't a, an area of, of give, there's not a spiritual gift of washing toilets, okay? Cleaning toilets. That's something we all do, okay? Maybe somebody out there is more gifted at that than others. But there are certain gifts, you can't play this card. Well, that's not really my area of giftedness. I'm not really into cleaning. I'm not really into, you know, serving my neighbor. No, 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 no. Those are general commands for all of us. But there are certain giftings Certain giftings that God gives to each person. Some of you have like the spiritual gift of mercy. And it energizes you to show compassion and to help to people who are in some sort of distress. And not only does it energize it, you, but you're good at it. You're actually good at it. And obviously we all want to try to be merciful toward one another. But some believers are spiritual, supernaturally gifted at this. Uh, some of you have the gift of giving you're, you are fulfilled by and gifted at. You're good at giving to others, whether that's financially or sharing your possessions or giving your time to help other people. Some of you have the spiritual gift of serving. You love to serve the church, doing whatever needs to be done. You don't necessarily want to be the leader. You just want to serve, whether that's behind the scenes or whatever. And you want your service just to be an act of worship between you and Jesus. Some of you have the spiritual gift of teaching. 
and you love to teach the, the truths of God's word to others in a way that helps them and that encourages them, and you're good at it. Some of you have the spiritual gift of faith, and you have a supernatural dose of bold confidence in God and in his promises and in the power of prayer. And we could go on and on, but if you're a Christian, please use your spiritual gifts that God has given you to build up the church, to build up this church family at Cedar Home, to build up God's church around the globe. And if you want some help discerning what your spiritual gifts are, if this is kind of a new idea for you, then make a note on your connection card in the bulletin and drop that in the box as you head out. And we'll get in touch with you and maybe point you to some good resources or help you talk through some things. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he distributed these gifts in such a way that we all need each other because none of us has all the gifts. None of us is every member in the body. We'll praise him for giving us gifts to make his body healthier, to love one another as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's review this list, the first five reasons why Jesus' ascension is good news for you and me. First, Jesus successfully completed his mission on earth. Second, Jesus' heavenly glory is back, and it's awesome. Third, Jesus is exalted in heaven at God the Father's right hand. Fourth, Jesus is our great eternal king who rules forever over all authorities and powers. And fifth, Jesus is the head of his church, and he equips all believers with spiritual gifts to serve his church. So today and this week, man, let's take some time with the help of the Holy Spirit to meditate on these awesome truths. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, let's respond by singing another worship song to this ascended and exalted Savior, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all this great news, God, um, for us, that you've done for us by your grace because of your love for us. Thank you, God, that uh, you... Jesus completed the mission on earth. You, you didn't uh, pass the cup to anybody else. You drank the wrath of God to the dregs for us. You rose again in power and united us to yourself. And that's effective when we trust in you. And thank you for that. We are so happy, Jesus, that your heavenly glory is back. It is awesome. We cannot look forward to seeing you face to face, be it in heaven or when you return and come in the clouds. You are exalted in heaven at the Father's right hand. God, may we exalt you in our own hearts and lives now and forever as we will for eternity. You're the great king. You rule over all powers, over all authorities. Everybody answers to you and you are good and just. Thank you for uniting us to yourself. And Jesus, you are the head of this body, and you've given believers spiritual gifts to serve the church. Thank you for that, God. Help us to be good stewards of those gifts for your glory and for our joy. We love you, Lord. Use our lives for the glory of your name. Thank you for the gospel that says even when we fall short of your glory, which all of us have, we remind ourselves that that's why you came and died for us. Because we're not saved by our own works, we're saved by you. 
We confess those failures to you. We turn from them by the power of the Holy Spirit and we trust in you again and celebrate that we are loved and accepted fully in you, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.